McGee's, yo, Dylan here, Big Django's class, all art and other things. You know what it is, people. Told you I was starting a podcast, so that's what I'm doing. Um, I'm actually here today on this episode to talk about um, that show, Dope Sick. I thought I had my fucking astro. Well, I got my trash barrel right there. I thought I'd talk about that show, Dope Sick, and um, how that we, like, it's all affected our lives in one way or another. I mean, I pretty much, like, lived it. Not the beginning, like, stages of that show, but definitely um, some of the later years in the millennium when me and thousands of countless others got hooked on fucking pills and oxycotton and all that fun stuff and it was it pretty much ruined a lot of people's lives it did and uh it was just all this false knowledge or not false knowledge but i always knew like heroin and oxycotton were bad and fucking you sell weed your whole life like his little punk ass kid fucking doing all that shit being a little hood rat ass motherfucker and uh you always like, yeah, I'm never going to do the bad drugs. I'll never do the bad drugs. I'll never do fucking heroin. I'm never going to get addicted to pills. Well, guess what? <laughs> it's pretty likely to happen if depending on the situation you're in. So I guess I can start from the beginning a little bit. And yes, I am going to be smoking and rolling up cannabis during my videos. This is a main part of who I am. This is where I am in life. I enjoy cannabis a lot. The therapeutic sides of it, I enjoy the social side of it, uh, I enjoy the medical benefits of cannabis. So, if you do not like me smoking in my videos, don't ever tune in because I'm probably going to be smoking on a lot of artist interviews, which I already I think all the artist interviews I've done, we've been talking so far. And I like to smoke on my own videos. So, but <coughs> excuse me, like I said, let's uh, start from the beginning, dude. Tell you a little bit about myself, honestly, and like the road that I've been down. Um, the people who know me, like probably people who know me personally, it's like they know that, uh, dude, I was a scary motherfucker at once, dude. I was so junked out. I was so bad. Like my own friends were scared of me. People were like, dude, Dylan Bailey is a disgusting, disgusting person. And uh, yeah, I changed my life. I wanted to get better. But let's start from the beginning. Like I said, like my father was a drug addict. He overdosed when I was 14. He was all fucked up though. He was handicapped. And then ever since he got handicapped, he had always dealt with addiction problems, all that other stuff, because he was all on pain pills, all this other shit. He was like one of those leading candidates back in the day for people like when Suboxone came out because he was hooked on the oxys, he was hooked on other pain, like really powerful, powerful barbiturates, other stuff because he had gotten into a really bad motorcycle accident. And it was so crazy, dude. I remember him showing me when I'm like a little kid and uh, he's like, uh, he shows me this massive vial of... Um, Suboxone, like I've never, like don't get me wrong, like I've seen a ton of Suboxone because I was a junkie, I was a full blown intravenous drug addict, I know all about it. But when my dad showed me that bottle of Suboxone back in the day, he's like, Dylan, don't ever ever tell anybody I have this, and I'm like, what is this? He goes, these pills are worth dumb, dumb, dumb amounts of money on the street, and I'm like, huh? I'm like, Dad, I don't even know what these are. He's like, that's fine, but just don't ever let anybody know I ever get these pills, and. Dude, once I got older and realized, and like I actually realized what those were, I was like, oh my God. I had never seen more Suboxone in my life. I'm talking, dude, they gave him a vial, like a foot tall, stacked with Suboxins. I'm telling you, it was like a fifty dollars to $60,000 vial of Suboxins at the time because it was the new drug that helped all the junkies get off of everything. It curved, your, uh, it curved the cravings. Dude, it was crazy. I'd never seen that many Suboxone in my life. And they used to give them to my dad like it was 
That's why my dad had so many fucking phone calls every day. Let's just put it like that. Why my dad's phone started ringing. Oh, my God. Dude, I hate that. That's going to drive me nuts right there. Um, that is going to drive me nuts. I don't care. I got to get better at doing these. Because I'm trying to record this for podcasts too and do the uh, garage band. So I can have it on the podcast and the videos because I can have it everywhere. It's a fat blunt. But um, where was I? Um, yeah, my father had those Suboxins and uh, it was crazy. I never realized until I was older like how valuable that was. And like I said, dude, my dad's phone used to ring 24-7. You want to know why? It was because of that. Excuse me. And all the other bad stuff. So with him being a drug addict, your parents... Drug addicts, you're usually a little bit more likely to be a drug addict yourself. You're like, no, that's never going to happen, never going to happen. Well, it did. It happened to me. My dad overdosed when I was young. So right there after he's gone, you like, nobody can tell me nothing. I'm going to do it all by myself. Like, well, guess what? I was wrong. I had, I wish people tried to tell me more because I just, maybe I just didn't listen at all because I was young, dumb, and, you know, full of cum. Still am though. <laughs> and uh shit, dude. Oh, I gotta get a motherfucking lighter. I gotta get a lighter. Uh that fucking ass guy. Yo, uh Again, if you are joining me on this, uh if you are joining me on this podcast, if this uh this video, thank you, thank thank you very much for tuning in and watching. So again, back to my story. My father was the drug addict, uh, overdosed when I was about 14. I uh, couldn't tell me nothing. And then eventually having like no guidance really. I mean, I had guidance, but like I, like I said, I was a huge punk. It was hustling through high school, then getting out of your, tw- getting into your 20s. And like I partied, did all the drugs, did all that, did fucking coke, did all the ecstasy, like, went hard as fucking high school, like, some of us did, some of us didn't, and, uh, you get out of high school, fucking still slanging and banging weed, because you could make a shit ton of money off it still, <laughs> and then, you know, fucking, a few years go by, and I'm like, 20 or 21, And that's when, like, the Oxycontins really started coming around. Ah, dude, really, really started coming around, the, all the Oxycontins. And, um, it, uh, we knew they were bad. And then I'm selling weed, selling weed, and then eventually, uh, somebody who gets me, um, bud, like, pretty much brings us a bunch of Oxycontins, or not Oxycontins, brings, brings, brings us a bunch of the Perk 30s one day. And I'm, me and my buddy are like, aren't these bad? Aren't these bad? And the dude's like, yeah, they're not as bad as Oxy's, but if you fucking, if you diddle too much, you're going to be, you're going to be feeling it. So we're like, all right. Next thing you know, we're selling them like crazy. Just like, because everybody's doing these things, dude. And everybody's hooked and they don't actually know that they're going to get dope sick once they stop doing it yet. Huh. That's what happened to me. <laughs> selling these things like crazy. You know, boom, 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 boom. A little bit of time goes by. You're doing them every day. And then that first little spout where you don't have any, you're just like, oh, shit. And then you're just like, oh, my goodness. I'm so dope sick right now. And at first, you're like, you're like in such denial. 
You are. You're in such denial at first when you're like really, when you realize that this shit has a control, good grip over your life. You're like in such denial. And it was always so crazy, like the people who like did pills forever and like never wanted to switch to heroin because they like thought they were, oh, I'm a, I'm a better drug addict because I only do pills. I don't do heroin. Oh. Like, yeah, go fuck yourself, dude. Like, you eventually started doing heroin, too. Who are you shitting me, dude? Like, so, <clears throat> after you do the pills for a long time, dude, it was a couple of years. Like, it was a few years of literally snorting pills, shooting pills, <coughs> all that. And then, you know, the pills prices started to skyrocket. Like, skyrocket. $30 a mil or a dollar a milligram. So, the, the perk 30s were what? $30 a piece. The OC80s, if you could still find them, were 100 to like $120, $150. It was like a double, 100% markup from what they were a year ago once like the, everybody, the government really started to crack down on them and uh, you couldn't get those real OC80s anymore that you could sniff or shoot up. They all turned to the gel and stuff like that. Thank God they actually did that because it probably did save a few lives, but you could still get stuff off the dark web because I would fucking meet up with people and I'd be seeing these people get these red Oxycontin 80s that they would literally scrape off the, the time release and then shave it down. And I'm like, what are you doing right there? They're like, this is an OC80. And they would get them from Europe and shit. And it was fucking gnarly, dude. And that was like years after I was clean. And that was years after they had gotten rid of the, uh, the, the, the American Oxycontin 80s, whatever those were. So, but <coughs> did pills forever shooting them dude like you go through all of it like i've had it all like i've gotten the cotton fever well we'll get to that in a second so you shoot the pills do everything and eventually once those prices skyrocketed dude you eventually go to heroin like there's no you're just you're gonna break i don't care who you are or if you go decide to get clean before that good for you maybe if you see one of these videos and you see where i'm at now dude it's not a lost cause to be I'm down and out junking. If you want to seriously put the work in, put the work in. People will help you when you want to put the work in and then you will get clean. But that's a different story for another time. So eventually you start doing heroin. And it is just like, oh my God. At that point, like where the hell? I was in Rosemont. I was at my apartment on Rosemont in Haverhill. And uh, <clears throat> it was bad. What would we do? We'd have what? <laughs> Five or six people in my fucking apartment every morning waiting for their fucking cell phone to turn on so we could go grab fucking dope from Lawrence. It was so bad, dude. And then we'd fucking have to get into the car, drive down to Lawrence, wait in some fucking sketchy side road for fucking the dude, the dope man to come. And these guys were straight gangster-ass professionals, bro. Like, for a while, we'd have to go down there to Lawrence. And then eventually, I'm like, dude, this shit is so hotbox. Like, do you want to just come to my apartment? And the fucking, the main dude was like, oh, I thought you lived at your mom's house. I was like, nah, dude, that's my apartment, bro. Like, I don't give a fuck. So next thing you know, like, I still got all, everybody's coming to my apartment every day so we could call the fucking dudes at 10 a.m. right when their cell phone turned on. These motherfuckers, I swear to God, they start showing up in, like, baller ass whips like I'm talking wicked nice Cadillacs wicked nice and like Acuras like just shit decked out to the max and like I'm like I tried to tell the dude I'm like yo people know I do not hang out with people like you like they know my friends do not look like that or dress fly as hell because these guys were straight gangsters bro 
Like the fucking stuff that we used to get was white. This wasn't no downtown dirty brown. Like you'd put this stuff into a spoon and legitimately it would just be, there would be nothing there. There'd be no filler, nothing. And like, I hate to say like that was the better heroin, but if you're going to do heroin, you want no filler in that spoon. If you got a pile of brown fucking muck, you know how much cut and nasty shit is in that dope? That's disgusting. The dope we used to get from these guys, these guys were straight G's. They didn't want you dying. They wanted you to get high and to come back so they could keep racking in fucking millions of dollars. That's what these dudes did. They were professionals. They weren't like these fucking kids nowadays trying to come up hustling, dude. You go find fentanyl. You don't know how to mix your shit right. Next thing you know, you kill 15 people. That ain't, that ain't drug dealing there, children. That's being a pathetic loser trying to make a little quick buck. You got to put the work in just like everything else in life. Just like everything else in life, you got to put the work in on hustling too. I'm sorry. You can't just fucking go get some fentanyl and think you're going to make a million bucks because guess what? Half of the people you fucking sell that fentanyl to are going to die. So, and this was before fentanyl even came around. This was like way before fentanyl even came around. Like I, I remember hearing about it when I was still using, but it was not even prevalent like it was like at all. And these dudes, I'm telling you right now, these dudes were fucking straight G's. Like, these guys wouldn't ever put that stuff. And I'm telling you, if they knew you were putting stuff like that, like if you were getting stuff off of them and then try to cut it with Fenta sauce, these dudes would probably fuck your ass up. So, but that just leads me to here. I did dope for fucking a couple of years intravenously. Like, I was bad. My liver was starting to shut down. I was 180 pounds. I was skin and bones, but I knew I was done. I like I knew I was over it. I knew I was over the drugs. I was over that fucking grind. Every single day to try to get money. I was trying with that grind. I had ripped everybody off that <laughs> I could rip off. I got my ass fucking beat for it. I got jumped. I got fucking punched in the face. I've been tied up in my own house. Like it's been a stupid, stupid ride on that part. But I knew I was done. I was so over the drugs. So I went to the methadone clinic. And people, don't get me wrong, the methadone clinic gets abused like crazy. It gets so abused. I never abused it. I knew I was done with drugs when I was done with the drugs. I couldn't do it anymore. Like, I went to the meetings. I put the work in. I think, I, yeah, I only got to what? <coughs> I know, I honestly, I, got, I think I might have to cut back on the blunts. I've been smoking so much lately. I'm sorry for coughing this much in this video. And if you have been watching the whole time, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I appreciate you staying with me. So on the methadone clinic, I never abused it. I got up to 65 milligrams and uh, it took me a year to get to 65. And then it took me a year to taper off. Because it's all mental. Like it's so mental. Because <laughs> your brain has to reset. And uh it did. It took two, it takes about two full years. That's depending if like how hard you want to go. Like when I was at the methadone clinic, I'd be fucking talking to people there who have been, I've been here for 25 years and I'd be standing there looking at them like, I am not coming to this building every single fucking day of my life for the next 25 years. Like, no, 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 no. I can't live like that. I knew that wasn't my life. I knew the drugs weren't me like that. Like I knew if I could ever get back to where I am now, that I would never go back to using heroin or pills or anything. Like, don't get me wrong. I'll drink. I smoke. Like, don't get me wrong. I still like to party. You put something down in front of me, you know, I might do it. 
And uh, I know I'm a fucking, I'm a, I'm a dirtbag for it, right? But no, I knew if I uh, ever got back to that spot, I'd be perfectly fine like I am. Like, cannabis saved my life. Like, I love marijuana. I said it earlier in the video, the reasons why I smoke cannabis. Mm. Oh, got up to 65 milligrams and then took a year to taper off. <coughs> and dude, it was so crazy. I remember... Uh, Going to like Camp Bisco all fucked up. Uh, not all fucked up, but going to Camp Bisco on the methadone clinic. I had to <coughs> lie to the methadone clinic that I was in at Lawrence, Massachusetts. Tell them that I was going camping. When really I was going to a massive fucking music festival for five days. I had to find, where the hell, I don't remember the town the old Camp Bisco was in. Was that Mariahville or, I don't remember the old place where they used to have the old Camp Bisco. So I had to find a methadone clinic out there, and oh my God, you want to talk about some fucking shit? So I'm at the front gates of Camp Bisco. I had to call a taxi, which I found this wicked fucking cool guy. Like, thank God I was hustling at the time, and I had money, and like I was getting clean, and like I was on the methadone clinic. Dude, I found a wicked cool taxi driver, and I was like, dude, I will give you like $50 cash every morning if you can just be here every day to bring me to this methadone clinic. And this motherfucker was there every single day to pick me up at a fucking massive music festival to bring me to the methadone clinic. Like, oh my God. And then like, just sitting out front, all the bikers and all the guards and everybody at the front gate, they're like, so when I first come up there, they're like, what are you going home? And I'm like, no. And they're like, well, what are you doing? And they're like, you better not be waiting to pick up drugs or something like that. I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm like, I'm literally going to a methadone clinic. And like, they all just stopped and stared at me. And then they like started to giggle. They're like, you're lying, right? And I'm like, nah, bro. Like, I need to go get my methadone. <laughs> all these people were like, oh my God. They're like, dude, what are you doing here? They're like, you're like, what are you doing? They're like, you got to go get your methadone fixed, dude. And I'm like, no, it's all prescribed. Like, I'm not going to buy it off the street. So I go to this fucking ragtag fucking, what was it, like 30-minute drive from the music festival it was. It was like a 30-minute drive. I can't even believe I did this shit. This ragtag-ass place. And I was only on like 30 milligrams at the time. I wasn't at like 65 or some crazy amount. I was only on like 30 milligrams. And uh, I actually had, I only had two take-homes at the time. I'll get to this in a minute. But I got there and... uh Oh my God, dude, it was, that was a small rinky dink town in upstate New York. I don't know what that place was, but that was that methadone clinic. It was holy shit, dude. And I, there were some fucking characters there, but this taxi driver, he helped me out. And like, it was too funny. All the jokes with the front gate there. So a couple guys were like, dude, if you were even alive in a few years, like I'll give you props. And like at the time I didn't really understand it that much. Cause like I had just started getting, just started getting clean into it. Oh no, they were right. Like, if I was going to be alive in a few years, like, good for me. And, like, it was just, um, it was nuts. And uh, So, I get back from that music festival, and my uh, my counselor in the methadone clinic, I only had two take-homes. So, that means I had to, I only had two days a week I could actually not go there. <coughs> well, I had the two take-homes, and I didn't show up for three days. And I showed up, and the nurses were like, you haven't been here for three days. You don't look too sick. And I'm like, I'm hurting right now. And they're like, no. So eventually I go with my meeting to my uh, my counselor, Nicole. And she always knew that like I never abused the program. I was always so upfront with her. I was always so straight up with her. 
She knew I wasn't just one of these people dinking around trying to get fucking free methadone, beating the system because I, yeah, I just need to get high every day or when I don't have money, I'm going to go fucking go to the methadone clinic. It wasn't, that wasn't me. So, uh, I have, I have my meeting with her and she's like, how the hell did you not come here for three days? And I was like, Nicole, you want the God's honest truth? Like, so when you could get methadone tablets, that, uh, the ones I used to get, you could break them into four pieces. I used to get like 20 milligram methadone tablets. So each time you broke off a piece, that was five milligrams. I was only on 30 milligrams at the time. She's like, what did you do? And I'm like, I got methadone off the street and I fucking, I took my recommended dose, not recommended, I took my dose. And she's like, she, like her jaw dropped to the floor. She's like, you're fucking telling me that you got methadone off the street. And I'm like, yes. She's like, you know how much fucking illegal that is? I'm like, Nicole. I'm like, you know I'm not abusing this program. You know I'm not abusing this methadone clinic. I literally, I pass all my drug tests. Like, and she's like, what you're telling me is like a straight felony. And I'm like, okay, then fucking call the cops. Call the cops. I'm like, you have people in this program that have fucking been here for 30 years and they're still on hundreds of milligrams every day. I've been here for a year and a half and I'm already down to 30. Like, I'm not abusing this program, Nicole. You know that. So she's just going to be like, I'm going to pretend I never heard any of that. And I'm like, exactly. I'm like, I'm being honest with you. I thought you were my counselor. Like, I thought I'm supposed to tell you this stuff. I was not here for three days because this is not my life. I am not going to be stuck to this fucking methadone clinic until the day I die. I ain't living like that. I have stuff to do. So she saw that how serious I was after that. And uh, she actually put me into like a legit fucking group because all the groups I was in were just all these people who abused the clinic over and over again. And I'm like getting sick of it. And I'm like, none of you fucks even want to be here. You literally are here when you don't have any money. When we don't have money, that's when we go to the methadone clinic. But the fucking Friday through month Sunday or Friday through Monday when we got our fucking paycheck, we're getting dope every day. Stupid. So after that little thing with her, uh, she put me into um, a serious group. <laughs> I was still on my taper, a tapering down. And, um, and these people in the group too were serious. So when I was about to be done with the methadone clinic, eventually Nicole was like, Dylan, do you want to like share your story? Da, 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 da. So I eventually really told the people in the group that I had been coming to this group for a while. I like told them the deal and I'm like, yeah, I'm about to be done with the methadone clinic. And a few people who were there were still there and they were only on like a milligram or two for like a year, a couple years. Like it was all mental. Like they would come literally in the day every day just to get a milligram of methadone or two milligrams of methadone. When even once I did get off, it was, uh, it wasn't that hard. The only thing was a little bit of sleep and maybe some restless leg but it was all in my head. And that's when like cannabis, like really, 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 really helped me, dude. Like, I feel like <laughs> that's one of those breaking points too for addicts. <laughs> You're on methadone and that, uh, that mental part of, um, nope, that's not the ashtray. That's the trash barrel. Don't fucking dump ash in there. That mental part of getting off the methadone clinic is one of the hardest things. And I did, and cannabis got me through that so, 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 so much. And uh, um, I know in the beginning of this episode how I talk about, um, like, the episode, the the, the, the new show on Netflix, Dope Sick. Pretty much what I just talked about was living this whole, living that whole thing. Like, me, other friends who aren't here anymore, who have passed on, who have overdosed um, from this stuff. 
it's it's been a gnarly what I'm 34 now. I fucking started using those drugs when I was like 20, 21. It's been a gnarly 14, 15 years. Like legit. And uh, I'm very blessed to still be alive. Like I, I'm going to do another, ep- I'm going to start doing a lot more episodes. Um, This, for me to be actually able to be here, have a life, a family and everything, I am truly blessed. Like I was not meant to be a drug addict and that wasn't, that wasn't me. I really, I firmly believe things happen for a reason in life, whether they're good or bad. Like it sucks when bad things happen, but it makes you a better person. It really, really does. And um, how you deal with those certain situations shapes and molds the person you are. And me going through all of that stuff shaped and molded the person I am now. And uh, if my father had never overdosed on drugs years ago. I'm telling you right now, I would have just started doing dumb fucking shit with him and I probably wouldn't be here right now. I would have started ripping and running with my dad because you look up to your parents a little bit and I was young, little fucking punk ass kid (coughs) trying to always be a fucking badass and like I would have just ended up looking up to him and just doing dumb stuff with him. Him passing away was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. I know it's fucked up to say, but it's fucking God's honest truth. I would not be the dude I am now if my dad never passed away. And the way the universe works, that was the path that I had to give. That's the path that I had been given, and I have to make what do what I can with it. And I have. I've made the best out of my situation. Like I said, I'm so blessed and so awesome to be here now. And uh, I could never ask for anything more. And it sucks the people that we've lost along the way. Like, I've lost some freaking homies. Like, I'm not going to go through the names right now, but the people close to me, like the other friends, like uh, those the OG friends, dude, like, you know, it's just, it's nuts. But let's get back to the matter on hand. So I got off the methadone clinic to cannabis. And then <coughs> that whole time period, oops. <laughs> Jesus, that whole time period, like I'm trying to help people get clean, them not help people, but a lot of my friends who were struggling were looking to me too. They were being like, oh, Dylan, fucking, you're doing good. And I'm like, dude, it's because I put the work in. Like I did the methadone clinic. I'm on the clinic now. Like I didn't want to abuse it. I tried to get so many of my friends to go to the methadone clinic and they're like, dude, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm like, it's because you're not truly done yet. When you are truly at your lowest fucking point and there's nothing left, that is when you're going to be like, I can't fucking do this anymore. Like, and I couldn't, like, I couldn't, honestly, like, I think if I had kept shooting up and doing anything, I probably would have died. My liver was failing. When I did the blood work, my liver came back as, like, fucking almost smoked. Oh, yeah, dude, it was so bad. 186 pounds or 100, I was 181 pounds. No. It's, and it's just sad too, all the lives it's affected and how much <laughs> knowledge, <coughs> even our parents didn't have that, <laughs> like our parents didn't know a lot of this shit, like they had dealt with it and heard of it and seen it, but our parents didn't know how to deal with kids being full-blown drug addicts like this, dude, are you kidding me, like not even close, now hopefully making these videos, starting this podcast, like if I have more people come on here, Talk about their experiences. Talk about how you got through those dark times. <clears throat> and I, 
I feel like it's a little bit of a, a help because I'm telling you, when I went through this stuff, the internet was really just written out emerging. Like this is when social media was getting huge. Like I never used the internet correctly until now. There are so many more <laughs> outlets now in videos and other stuff for you to get help or find help or find some inspiration to make your day better or try to make your situation better. But you got to put the work in yourself. Have to. Just like anything else in life. So, but yeah, and then what else happened? It was that. And then after, unfortunately, after I had some really close friends uh, pass away, that's when, like, I really decided to move to Maine. I was like, I can't do that no more. I had lost too many good close friends, and I was like, I'm over this right now. So, I'm fucking, I'm baked right now. I've been smoking this blunt the whole video. And, uh, we're at fucking 40 minutes, so. But, yeah, I moved to Maine, and still people are still using, I'm not even too sure. I, I, again, if you still are one of them OG friends, and you're still fucking getting down like that dude get some help like you've been doing it's been what 15 years now like dude if you've been getting if you're still getting high when you were we were in our 20s like that that was early 20s for me early 20s i think i got off the clinic excuse me the methadone clinic when i was what 24 i think i was done because i didn't have my license that whole time it was fucking dealing with all the court shit being on probation getting off probation getting arrested all that dumb stuff yeah, honestly, I got set up, dude. That shit was crazy. I'm going to tell you a whole nother story another time. That's a whole nother podcast we can get into. That shit is so fucking crazy. But, I don't know. I wanted to make this episode on that. If you, uh, it's, it's all affected us. It has. It's all affected us in different ways. If you, you've known somebody or you've dealt with it directly yourself, um, hopefully now, now they're not hopefully, but now there's just more awareness to move, uh, about this stuff more than ever. And uh, I hope that, yeah, maybe if you see one of these videos and you're struggling that, it's not the end of the world. It really isn't. It really isn't the end of the world. So I felt like I had to just put my little bit of two cents in on that. Uh, this is one of my first solo episodes like this I'm going to do. There's going to be so many more. I have so many subjects to talk about. There's more artist interviews coming up. I'm going to be releasing these sooner than the artist interviews just because the artist interviews are people want to do them it's just very hard to line up everybody's schedule we are all so goddamn busy and it's crazy and usually a lot of the people i'm talking to are small business entrepreneurs like myself and the weekends are very valuable for us and um those are like usually the easiest times to do these podcast interviews like this so yeah man yeah, I'm Dylan. This is Big Jangle Glass, Hall Art, and other things. Peace out. <coughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs>